I will do another contemplation with you, a different one. And this one concerns loving-kindness. And it is distinct from loving-kindness meditation in certain quite um, obvious ways, the same way that meditation is different from contemplation also, as I explained yesterday. Now, in the loving-kindness meditation, we like to, and would like to, arouse the feeling, the feeling that we try to trigger through certain words or certain images. If we don't need the words or the images and can trigger the feeling or habit, that would be ideal. But since most people don't, we need words and images to trigger a feeling. I also want to say at this time that if we are, when we're doing the loving-kindness meditation in the evening together and you don't feel a thing, don't worry. Think it anyway. If you think it long enough, the feeling will eventually follow. Because thinking is also a sense contact. And as we think, we will eventually feel. If you feel it, so much the better. And if you only feel it slightly, Never mind, it does grow. But in the loving-kindness contemplation, we are not trying to arouse the feeling. What we're going to try to do is introspect, look inside ourselves and see whether any of these factors which I'm going to mention are present and how we can get rid of them whether they are a bother to us, how they affect us detrimentally, how we are having difficulty <coughs> with those qualities inside of ourselves and how we can do something about them. In other words, we are introspecting in a certain direction towards getting rid of the negativities and substitute with the positivities. And Ideally, in a contemplation such as this, specifically if you do it again on your own, you will find facets of yourself which you have dimly known about but which now come to light quite clearly and you can see them for what they are, unnecessary, detrimental to your well-being. Again, the formula, recognition, no blame, change. There's no blame attached to any of this. This is human nature. And since we all happen to be humans at this point in time, we've got that kind of nature. But we do not have to keep it in the aspects and facets which are hurtful to ourselves and others. It is possible to transform. After we do that contemplation for ourselves, I will then add the same thing for others. As we feel for ourselves, we will then feel for others. So you see the difference between the loving-kindness meditation and the loving-kindness contemplation. Here, in this one, we're going to introspect and see what there is within us and how we can transform it, transcend it into a nature which eventually becomes supra-mundane, supra-worldly.
and the natural, the nature that we are saddled with is the one that is always in duality. There's always the good and the bad, but we don't have to stay that way. I will again say the words and ask you to repeat them after me, and then I will say something about that particular sentence to help with the contemplation. Again, if you know something better, by all means use it. These are not hard and fast rules. These are only suggestions. And all of the guidelines are tools. Every one of them is a tool that you can use if you feel that this tool will be helpful. In order to start, put the attention on the breath, please, for just a few moments. And please repeat after me. May I be free from enmity. May I be free from enmity. Now the meaning of course is that I would like to be free of any thoughts and feelings of being an enemy to anyone. And we often delude ourselves that we are only having these thoughts and feelings because the other one has started it. That's neither an excuse nor is it a reality. It's because we have that in us. The introspection can go towards ascertaining whether any feelings or thoughts of enmity have ever brought happiness to ourselves. And if it hasn't, how can we change that? How can we transform that into something that does bring happiness. May I be free from hurtfulness. May I be free from hurtfulness. Again, our introspection goes in the same direction. Have I have have I had feelings and thoughts of hurting another? Have I actually said or done anything like that? Has it been to my own 
benefit and happiness? Can I transform that? Can I let go of that kind of reaction? May I be free from troubles of mind and body. May I be free from troubles of mind and body. Now here we can introspect to see whether we're really our own best friend, whether we're looking after mind and body in a way which creates the best possible peace and happiness in our lives. It doesn't mean evading. It doesn't mean running away. It means knowing what is the best thing we can do for ourselves so that there's peacefulness and happiness within.
May I be able to protect my own happiness. The first thing here that is necessary to ascertain is what is my happiness. That's not such an easy task. It takes a fair bit of introspection. And having found what is my happiness, how do I protect it? Again, not by evading or by resisting or rejecting, but through the transformation in the mind. May all beings be free from enmity. May all beings be free from enmity. Now we turn around and what we are wishing and working for in ourselves, we wish for others. And if we ourselves find a way to make that come true, we may be able to impart it to others. But our love and friendship for others at least leads us to wishing for them that they can also find a way. If our wish for others is sincere, we will find that when there is enmity from other people, our only reaction is compassion and not anger.
male beings be free from hurtfulness. Now again we wish the same for others that we're wishing for ourselves. And when we encounter this in other people, our reaction needs to be investigated. Do we feel that we need to blame them? Do we feel we can help? Male beings be free from troubles of mind and body. Again, we are wishing for others exactly what we're wishing for ourselves. And if we find a way for ourselves, we may be able to show a way to others, but only if we have found a way for ourselves. when we wish for others that they don't have any troubles, naturally it also entails that we ourselves do not originate any troubles for others. May all beings be able to protect their own happiness. May all beings be able to protect their own happiness. Here in this instance, it's not up to us to judge what others' happiness really means. It's up to us not to interfere. So if we wish happiness for others, it's not, doesn't mean that we impose our ideas of happiness on them. But we are happy if another person has happiness.
I have mentioned to you the word purification several times and talked about the fact that there is heart and mind to be taken into consideration in everything that we do. Now we talked about the four supreme efforts which concern our thinking process and that that needs to be purified. Purification means letting go of the unwholesome and substituting with the wholesome until a day comes along when the unwholesome just doesn't arise anymore. But until then, we just have to keep on cleaning it up. We know all about cleanliness. We clean the body. We clean our clothes. We clean our houses. We wash the dishes. Vacuum the floors. We wash the windows. Wash our hair. We know about cleanliness. And the cleanliness that we are concerned with usually is the cleanliness of our outer surroundings and the cleanliness of this body. We give it a shower or a bath. But what do we actually clean? We clean our skin. One-sixteenth of an inch of skin. But that's not us, is it? Although we're very concerned with skin, we go overboard on it, either one way or another. We really are concerned with it. But nobody, if asked, really believes that's all there is to us. Just skin. And that's what we clean, day in and day out. And then maybe the hair and the nails and the teeth. But there's something much more important to be cleaned. Well, don't misunderstand me. I do not have anything against taking a shower or bath. I do it every day. But it's not enough. We have to clean heart and mind. It's much more important. And when that is clean, when that's purified, then, of course, we live in a totally different world. Because the world we live in is not out there. The world we live in is, within, is inside of us, within us. It's our reaction most of the time to what's going on out there. But when that is all purified and clean, the reaction is totally different. So our cleaning process, while we do need to do all these outer things in order to have a physical base, we have to do all those inner things in order to have a totally different ambience within. It just feels entirely different. Imagine you walk into a house where nobody's washed the dishes, or cleaned the floors, or cleaned the windows, or washed the clothes for a year. Everything is lying around. Everything is dirty. 
where you won't feel very comfortable. In fact, you're probably going to wonder why anybody could live like that. How could anybody have such a mess? Well, the cleaning up of our mind and heart, we have probably neglected not just for one year, but for as many years as we've been around. And then we could really say, how could anybody live in such a mess? But since everybody else is doing it too, we don't even notice it. That's the way it is. But we don't have to carry on like that. We can know that there is a different possibility. And we will see and feel the difference immediately when we do it just a little bit. Now, we have many methods for doing just that, meditative methods, and we will do one of those tomorrow. But it's not enough to have meditative methods. We have to do it in our daily lives. So with our thought processes, you already have the formula for it, the tool, the four supreme efforts. And that formula, that tool, needs to be used again and again. We don't just wash ourselves once for the rest of our lives. We do this again and again. In fact, if it's very hot and steamy, twice, three times a day. If we've worked hard and it is, we have become dirty, many times we wash. We wash our hands so many times in a day. We have to do that with the mind. And if we don't, the dirt does accumulate. It gets worse and worse. It doesn't get any better if we don't do anything about it. This is a fantasy which is um, very much related to the fantasy of Disneyland. It's got to get better. It's always getting better. It isn't. <laughs> it just isn't unless we do something very determinedly about it within ourselves and we have all the f abilities to do it everyone has that ability and we have as fortunate as we are the guidelines how to do it now there's nothing else needed we have the how-to and we have the ability. The rest is nothing but an intelligent mind that recognizes the need and then the determination to carry it out. Anything that we've ever done in our lives, anything at all, needed determination. Even getting up in the morning needs determination. So this, of course, needs a little more. Our thought process directs our speech and action. It's the essence that makes our life happen. Even though we sometimes don't notice it because we're not that mindful to realize that we have thought something and then said it or done it, we couldn't possibly say it or do it if we hadn't thought it first. So that's where one of our cleaning 
operations has to take place. Again and again, moment after moment. And the more we're able to be mindful and attentive to ourselves, to what's going on in the mind, the easier it is to clean. If we're wearing clothes and we've got a big spot and we don't pay any attention to that, we're not going to go and wash it. Somebody might say to us, you've got a big spot on your skirt or your pants, and then we might go and wash it. But very few people come around and say, you've got a big spot on your mind. (laughs) We've got to really find that ourselves. We might notice sometimes that somebody doesn't like us, and then we think, oh, well, what a fool. We're actually really nice, you know. But maybe he noticed some spot, he or she noticed some spot somewhere. It's possible. Who knows? But it's entirely up to us to find those spots. And they are our unwholesome thinking, the negative thinking, the resistance, the rejection, the dislike. Unfortunately, one of the difficulties that we have to contend with is the fact that we justify our negative thinking. We justify it because we say, well, I mean, how could anybody like that person? He or she is just terrible. Or how can anybody approve of such an action? That does not justify our negativity. The very easy sentence to remember is we don't need to like the crime but we can still love the criminal. And that's hard work. It's a very easy sentence, but it's very hard work. And if we actually are willing to do that hard work, it changes us completely. It may not change that criminal. He's, he or she's got to do that work for themselves. But as we change ourselves, we change the world because we are part of this whole collection of human beings. And if one has changed, there is a change. If the change is massive enough and uh, impactful enough, it may even help to change a few others. It happens all the time. Sometimes one wants to change someone else. That doesn't work. But the feeling that comes from a person is that what changes the whole environment. We're always deploring the pollution of our environment. Those dreadful people with the big factories that have all this stuff coming out. And why don't they put something in their chimneys to uh, help with the uh, cleaning up of the environment? We're deploring the fact that the uh, lakes and the streams and the oceans are becoming polluted and the trees are dying and so on and are being cut down. The environment is being polluted because our minds are polluted. There's no other reason for it. There can't be. 
because everything that happens anywhere in the universe happens because it has been mind-directed. There are subtler minds than ours, but whatever happens that we know about has been mind-directed through minds like ours. So if we would like to have our environment less polluted, and I suppose everybody does by this time, and some people even sort out their garbage by this time, which is another way of helping along, we need to sort out the garbage that we have within us. It's very nice to have three or four different garbage cans, and we do have those in our center in, in Germany. But we've got to put the stuff in the garbage cans that we have within us and get rid of it once and for all. It's much more difficult than sorting out the physical garbage. Much more difficult. But it's also much more rewarding. It brings enormous results. And if we can see the logic of this, and this is another aspect of the Buddhist teaching, the logic of it, obviously an intelligent mind will say that that is a worthwhile work to be done. See, if we want to really be involved in a spiritual path, again, we need heart and mind. We need to understand exactly why, how, and what we're doing, down to the last detail. We have to know exactly why we're doing it, how to do it, and what exactly it is. And then we've got to love it. We've got to love it because we recognize it <coughs> for the greatest good that can possibly happen to us and, at the same time, happen to our environment the environment which may be physical, nature, or the environment of the people we live with, in other words, the ambience that is around us. So if we have both of these, and that is where faith and wisdom come in, if we have that understanding exactly what we're doing and why we're doing it, and then loving the process, even though the process is sometimes difficult, why shouldn't it be? I mean, if one studies something, let's say one studies to become a, a doctor or a lawyer, the process isn't all that easy. It takes time, it takes determination, it takes a lot of mind uh, work to remember all these things, but one has a goal in mind, and so one keeps on doing that. Well, here we also have a goal in mind, purity and freedom total liberation. And although we think that we're free because we happen to live in a country where we are at least left to our own devices how we want to arrange our lives, there's no freedom within us. We react. As long as we react, we have no freedom. Because what are we depend upon? Everything that happens around us, outside of us. And as long as we depend upon that, how can we be free? Freedom is within. Freedom is not a lack of problems out there. The world's always been like this. It hasn't been quite that overpopulated before, but it's always had wars. They even had wars when they were living in caves, killing each other. All you have to do is look into a forest, at the uh, floor of the forest, 
and little bigger insects killing the little ones. That's part of physical existence. But freedom comes within. There is that possibility of being completely liberated. And it's got nothing to do with male or female. Anyone can do it. So that is actually the goal and that is what we can have in mind that there can be a total freedom from the dependency on outer situations which then make us react in often so unpleasant ways to ourselves (coughs) unpleasant because we become distraught or fearful, angry, sad, upset, disliking, rejecting, all these things that happen in our minds and which do not conduce to a peaceful life. In fact, one can say probably without much um, difficulty that we're sitting on a seesaw. If everything looks fine, the seesaw goes up and we feel quite elated but very unsafe because we know the seesaw is going to plunk down again and we're going to hit bottom again. It's not a very peaceful life to sit on a seesaw all the time with one's emotions and thought processes. So cleaning up that one aspect of ourselves are the thought processes. And we have to be very vigilant because they go on all the time. And every time we let one go by, that's it. We've already polluted our inner environment. And if we keep on with that unwholesome thought, talk or uh, do something with it, we pollute the outer environment with it. But we've definitely done something to our own inner peacefulness. So the vigilance that we need is called mindfulness. And it's the one I've already talked about and have now given a little more emphasis. It's actually the fourth foundation of mindfulness, the content of mind, which can be seen with using that formula of the four supreme efforts and which is helped by labeling in the meditation. You see, all these things connect to each other. It's not just a little thing here and a little thing there. The whole thing is one aspect of humanity, which, as long as we are totally natural, and we are all probably under the delusion that being natural is very um, uh, wonderful and we should really try to be absolutely natural, What we really have when we are totally natural is we have the human condition with all its duality and dichotomy of good and bad sitting on the seesaw going up and down. That's natural. So it isn't that which is so um, marvelous to search for. It became an idea in the mind of people when our food became more and more unnatural and we wanted to get back to eating something natural so everything that is packaged nowadays and this is I've seen this in the last three weeks having been in America everything is packaged with being natural 
I don't know how it could possibly be otherwise, but it certainly doesn't taste natural. But that's not what we're after. We're not after being natural, because that's what we've been all the time. We've been natural all the time since we've come around to this life, and it hasn't really been fulfilling, has it? So we don't even we don't want to be unnatural either. We want to transcend the naturalness of the human condition, which is a condition which is constantly on the verge of unhappiness, the verge of difficulty. And the only way we will be able to do that, if we see that quite clearly, that it's entirely up to us, that there's nobody out there going to do it for us, or up there, or out there, or wherever we thought he or she might be. It's entirely up to us. And if we see that quite clearly and want to be fulfilled within, where there is only contentment and peace, then we have to do this cleaning up process. If we were to walk outside with totally dirty clothes, dirty face, dirty hair, we'd probably feel pretty uneasy about it, you know, covered in mud and everything. Wouldn't be nice. We wouldn't like to be seen like that. Remember that one can actually see what's inside of us too. We always are under the delusion that that is hidden because it isn't, we can't touch it with our hands and we can't see it with our physical eye. But everybody knows that we can see things far more things than we can see with our physical eye. Our physical eye is extremely limited. It cannot see further than the horizon. It can't look around corners. It can't see ultraviolet light. Bees can see ultraviolet light. So our physical eye is extremely limited, and I don't think that anybody who thinks about it for a moment really believes that only that which we can see with our physical eye exists. Because our abstract thinking, for instance, does not exist with a physical eye. We can't see it. Even mathematics, we can't see them. They're abstract thinking. So, so many things exist that can't be seen. Next time we get dressed to go out, and we may be looking in the mirror. Do I look all right? Hair all right? Clothes all right? Shoes, all right. I've got everything in my uh, pockets, keys, money, and so forth. Maybe we could also give a moment's thought. Everything all right within me? Do I feel loving, compassionate? Do I feel at ease and peaceful? Or do I carry around with me negativities? Do I carry around with me anger or greed, wanting, wanting to have? wanting to be or is everything fine within me and only then step outside the door it is a thought process which can become so habitual that we'd never like to be without that inner clarity and that inner cleanliness but we have to work for that inner cleanliness it doesn't come by itself these clothes don't stay clean we've got to work for that The dishes don't stay clean. They've got to be washed all the time. 
that inner cleanliness doesn't stay. It's got to be worked for. It's the most profitable work that any human being can do in a lifetime. It brings the greatest profit. We are a profit and loss society, aren't we? Nothing greater profit than that. You might not be able to count it in dollars and cents, but one can count it in inner peace and happiness. Inner peace and happiness is what everybody actually wants, even though they might give other explanations of what they're looking for. But that's what every human being wants. And nobody can give it. This is the very odd and uh, strange delusion that human beings are apt to carry around with them and make a very important part of their lives that they think that peace and happiness can come from outside, that somebody is going to give it to us. A person, Prince Charming, or um, the most beautiful lady in the world, or whatever one has in mind, or lots of money, or a place in the country, (coughs) or having been there long enough, a place in the city. (laughs) 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 Or the teacher. Something is going to give it to us. How can that happen? How can peace and happiness come from out there? How is it going to get in there? Peace and happiness exist within us. They are not dependent upon our doors of the senses. The doors of the senses can take in whatever there is for one moment and then it's all gone again. Peace and happiness has to stay within somehow or other. We have to make it happen within. Out there, there are many things which are against peace and happiness but only if we react to them. In here, there are many things against peace and happiness, but only if we don't clean them up. The natural being of a purified heart and mind, totally natural, not even supernatural, is peace and happiness. And what is against this is all the thinking and reacting process which goes on in the mind. Now, obviously, when you meditate, you're trying to stop the thinking and reacting, which is one of the great benefits of meditation. And the more of that is being stopped, the more we can then also have that kind of feeling of not having to think and react in daily life. But only if we are attentive to what goes on in our mind. So this fourth base of mindfulness, the content of mind, combined with the four supreme efforts, combined with the labeling and meditation when these thoughts are coming up, are the tools to make us aware what needs cleaning. And when we know what needs cleaning, we also already know how to clean. We substitute. Now that substitution process is also learned in meditation. 
So the how and the what are totally open for us. The one thing we have to guard against is justifying our negativities. There's no justification. There's only reaction. Now that purification process in the mind has to be reinforced and supported through the purification process in the heart. And just as we have the four supreme efforts, the four guidelines, the formula of four for the mind, we also have a formula of four for the heart. Now, obviously, I won't have enough time to go into it into detail, so I'll have to do that tonight. But I'll tell you the formula of four now and say a little bit about it. This formula of four for the heart are called in Pali the Brahma Viharas. Literally translated, it means the abode. A Vihara is an abode, and the Brahmas are the gods, so abode of the gods which, of course, gives us the wrong connotation because we might get the idea we have to become gods, which is also something that seems to be uh, swirling around in the minds of people, gods and goddesses, totally unnecessary. We've got all the uh, facilities within just the way we are. But what it really, what we can uh, translate also is the four supreme emotions If we perfect them, we have paradise within. The emotions, as they are, those four, as we actually practice to perfect them, will become more and more the natural, the constantly available quality of the heart. Nothing supernatural about that either. So as we become, get that to be the habitual quality of the heart, within us there's a different kind of inner life. As if a place which has never been cleaned before, where all the dishes were standing around and the dirty linen was unwashed, where the furniture was broken and the Uh, paint was peeling off the walls, has now been refurbished. We don't want to live in a house where everything is peeling off and is broken. But the house that we live in, the actual physical house, we can move out. We can just leave it. If we can't sell it, well, we can just leave it. Maybe we can rent it out. Maybe we can just forget about it. But try and forget about living in your inner life. It's impossible. We've got that for the duration. So what's more important, cleaning up the house we live in or cleaning up the house we live in in here? Well, preferably cleaning up both, of course. But nobody seems to have much trouble getting the physical house in order. It's the inner house, which is a difficult one. So here we have four supreme emotions, which in Pali are called metta, karuna, mudita, upeka. In English, you don't have to remember the Pali words. I'm using them because some people have learned those and don't seem to even know the English translation very well. 
The first one is translated as loving kindness. The second one as compassion. The third one is sympathetic joy. And the fourth one is equanimity. These are the only four emotions worthwhile having. The rest can be thrown out with the rest of the garbage. These four are the only ones. And it can be done. It's possible. It's not even that difficult if one makes up one's mind to do it. Naturally, they're always going to be having something that might irritate here or there. But if one is determined to clean up the mess, that's the most important mess to be cleaned up. <coughs> it's the one which is dearest to our own heart. It's the one that concerns us absolutely and directly. The one that is completely us. Everything else is dependent upon others. This is only dependent upon us. So these four are the only ones that we need to cultivate, that we need to recognize as those parts of us which are worth retaining and enlarging upon. And again, we can use the substitution process that when any of the others come up, that we can substitute. It's easily said. It's just one sentence. It's not that easily done. But the more often we do it, the easier it becomes. Obviously, practice makes perfect. I mean, it's even difficult, and I can remember this uh, something like uh, more than 60 years ago, learning to ride a bicycle. I mean, even that's difficult. You need to balance that thing. So you keep falling off until all of a sudden you get the hang of it. And then it's very easy. Or what about learning to drive a car? I can remember that vividly. (laughs) I was terrible. In Los Angeles, mind you. Even thinking about it still makes me cringe. But then all of a sudden you get the hang of it and you just drive a car. Well, it's the same here. One's got to practice it. In the beginning it seems very difficult. Very. How can I have love for this person who's just awful? How can I have compassion with all these crazy people? But after a while it just becomes totally uh, the natural reaction to what goes on around one because the heart has been cultivated to the point where that is the overriding quality. I will continue on those four supreme emotions this evening because there's far more to be said than what I've said so far. It is um, a very important aspect of the purification process and this purification process is, again, the underlying foundation for meditation. But, now don't misunderstand that. Don't think that you have to become, first, a perfectly loving person before you can meditate. It's not like that. But we approach the whole process of meditation, contemplation, and purification from both sides. The meditation itself 
purifies. The purification in our thought and feeling helps the meditation. They both interact with each other. And that's why we have to do it every day, not once in a while. It's the same as when you might think washing the body once in a while. Who would do that? None of us do that. We wash it every day. Same thing here. Every single day. We become and we are what we think and what we feel. That's what we are. <coughs> so these, this particular purification process and the four supreme emotions um, are one of the key um, practices in daily life. So I'll talk about it more uh, tonight. I'll give you two and a half minutes to ask some questions. <laughs> Any questions? Yes. <clears throat> this is a question I was going to yesterday that I was contemplating. Um, if everything you do, if, if all we are is kind uh, of consequences, you know, we're not thoughts or anything, everything is, and, and we're constantly gathering the consequences, either by doing intentions or bad intentions, my understanding is that you're supposed to yeah, well, I, unfortunately, there is a tradition that says that. <laughs> no, you don't get rid of anything. Look, the one who gets rid of karmic consequences is the arahant, the fully enlightened one. So uh, you want to become fully enlightened, so you've got to purify Uh, well, that's a negative thought. <laughs> uh, don't, don't think like that. But you see, the sentence you said, I've heard it before. It's a wrong way. It's a totally wrong way of thinking. I've heard it before. There is one a tradition that talks like that. And it's not, it's not according to the Buddha's teaching. We don't get rid of our karmic consequences. There's nothing to get rid of. Getting rid of sankharas, I've heard it before. It's mental formations, actually, sankharas. And because we make karma with our mental formations, with the thought, that's why sometimes sankharas are also con uh, translated as karma formations. Our karmic resultants are with us all the time, <coughs> as long as we think of ourselves as me. As long as we are a me, as long as everybody knows who gets up in the morning. I mean, you knew who was getting up this morning, didn't you? Most you, wasn't it? Yeah, okay. So as long as we know who's getting up in the morning, as long as that, we have a me. As long as we have this me in there, that seems to be sitting in there, actually. And uh, it's looking out through the eyes, it's uh, listening through the ears, it's smelling through the nose and so forth, that's me. As long as we have that um, in there... So long we are making karma and living with the consequences. And so we have only one avenue open to make this life more bearable, and that's making good karma. Because the consequences are with us all the time. Getting rid of the consequences of karma means getting rid of me, not physically getting rid of this person, Nothing like that, but the feeling that there's somebody there. You have to get to the point when there's 
nobody there. So there's no question about that at the moment. Nothing at all. It's a total misunderstood uh, way of describing karmic consequences. And I've heard it before, and I know exactly where it comes from, and it's unfortunate. <laughs> There's a lot of that misunderstanding going around, uh, and it's not surprising because this whole thing is new to the West. And uh, as it happens in the West, then there are uh, cultural implications which the West doesn't understand, and so there are difficulties. Anyway, do you understand this explanation? <laughs> well, what don't you understand about it? Um, well, I don't, don't understand what I'm supposed to do with it. <laughs> 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 I think you're in good company there. <laughs> but I think as I continue to tell the uh, guidelines of the Buddha, it may become clearer. Okay, so give it a little more time, <laughs> all right? And I think you have uh, sort of uh, hit a button in many people's uh, feelings. It's not uncommon. And uh, it has something to do also with the immense change that has happened in humanity due to the technological explosion. People used to know exactly what to do with their lives. I mean, my grandparents never had any doubts what they were supposed to do. But that's a long time ago. That's the last century. So, um, but due to that technological explosion, we also have an advantage because we don't have to uh, negate it. What we have is the advantage that we do no longer have to only concern ourselves with the physical and material well-being. So we have great options, and that option that the Buddha gives us is the greatest. And as we go along, we it might become clearer, and if it hasn't, ask me again. Okay? All right. Our time is up. Uh, <laughs> Anya will say the verse for food again. You will repeat it after her, and I wish you a very nice lunch. <laughs>